when cracks appear on iPhone touchscreens and strange and frightening sounds echo on your MP3 player. That is the time when the Neverland Podcast is present, broadcasting online with ghoulish delight. Welcome, foolish listeners, to episode 47. Welcome to Never Never Land. We're going to bring ghosts from all over the world. Join us. Be sure to bring your death certificate. Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to the Haunted Neverland Podcast. I am once again your host, Jeremy, and I'm going to, of course, remind you to grab your pixie out of your pocket to sprinkle some of that pixie dust, and we'll fly away together to Neverland. We've got lots of fun planned for you today. Uh, After a little bit of news, we have Tim Devine from The Magic in Pixels, who's going to join us to tell us all about Pixelmania, an event that he helps to sponsor at Walt Disney World. And then Tim's going to stick around as we have a nice little discussion about spooky and haunted video games that are not always necessarily family friendly, so I can't necessarily recommend all of them uh, for everyone. But they're kind of fun, some good memories in store for some of these, and some of these uh, are some newer games that... uh, you might be interested in purchasing, but I can't officially recommend them because, well, they're not Disney or family-friendly, but uh, they are what we call going to Disney and beyond. Uh, So that's going to be a really fun discussion. We had a good old time talking together, uh, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. But before we get to that, uh, okay, I've really got got one news item that I really want to talk about because I have such a great long conversation with Tim. I don't want to make this podcast run for too long but we've got to talk about this some artwork was released for and i think it's pronounced mona or it could be moana i am not sure Uh, apparently it's a polynesian word that that means ocean and this is going to be the animated film that disney is releasing in 2016 and here's the official synopsis in the ancient south pacific world of oceana or oceania uh I was thinking Oceana, but uh, it could be Oceania. But Moana, a born navigator, sets sail in search of a fabled island. During her incredible journey, she teams up with her hero, the legendary demigod Maui, to traverse the open ocean on an action-packed voyage, encountering enormous sea creatures, breathtaking underworlds, and ancient folklore. Uh, lots of great mythology, apparently, in the from the Polynesian area. So, you know, I'm not sure what all they're pulling from. There's a lot of possibilities, but uh, could be some great Polynesian fairy tale stuff brought in here. Now, this is being directed by Ron Clements and John Musker, and this is the team behind The Little Mermaid, uh, The Princess and the Frog, and Aladdin. And they they have said, John and I have partnered, of course, obviously this is Ron speaking, but uh, John and I have partnered on so many films, creating Moana is one of the great thrills of our career. It's a big adventure set in this beautiful world of Oceania. Or Oceana. I'm not sure how you're supposed to say it. But the the concept art is just stunning. It, it does look, though, a lot like, uh, for anyone who played The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, it does remind me of that a little bit, of the style with how the boat is and the sail has this neat kind of uh, circular symbol on there. But it looks really, really cool. Um... Now, the, the funny thing is, to me, is that, that they're saying that this will be the first Polynesian princess for Disney, and 
uh, I have not seen anything that confirms that she is even a princess. But the way they do it, they're getting excited about it. Uh, it does remind me of people getting excited for her, like Princess Tiana being the first uh, African-American princess. Uh, but I don't see anything where this is a princess character. It's not the first Polynesian characters they've had. I mean, does everybody remember Lilo and Stitch? Uh, so, you know, and that one, I enjoyed that movie, and I loved the stylistic. And this is, I, I think, going to be somewhat similar in the color palette from the look of it uh, with that Polynesian style uh, but if this is going to of course be a little bit more serious and not um, as quite as cartoony probably as what Lilo and Stitch is but either way uh, very exciting to finally get this information out there uh, and so we'll just kind of have to keep our eye on it I'm sure Disney will keep us from uh, learning too many things because they do enjoy surprising us uh, but that's the main pieces of news I wanted to cover other than the fact that uh, there was a leak this week for the new Avengers Age of Ultron trailer that is supposed to be shown on this coming Tuesday's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, now the leak, it spread over pretty quick. Disney was able to kind of jump on it and got it removed from a lot of places. Uh, now I have not confirmed this, but I have heard that Marvel has put the trailer up on their website. I'm not sure if this is true, and I did not go and check it out. I figured, well, you know what? I'll get to see it at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I'd rather get you all to watch it on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week as well, although you probably saw it. Uh, but yes, I did see it, and it looks amazing. Uh, a little bit of thematic elements of I've Got No Strings from Pinocchio being used, which, because now Disney owns Marvel, I figure they can get away with, and it does seem to tie very creepily into the film. So very excited to see where this goes. I can't wait to see it during this week's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, we'll just wait for it then. And it'll be awesome. And I'm sure we'll see it soon in theaters. And, of course, the movie coming this April. Very excited about that. But that's... Okay, now with the teaser talked about and Moana talked about, that's pretty much everything I wanted to speak of for any news this week because I do want to get on to our major content with Tim. Uh, but I do want to give some shout-outs. Uh, Sideshow Sound Theater... Uh, at Sideshow Sound on Twitter. They actually have a podcast. They, If you enjoy film scores, you will enjoy their podcast. They go and they talk about lots of different film scores. I thought I was kind of nerdy for that kind of thing. But they, they remember the names of composers that I you know haven't paid attention to. And they, they these are the type of people. They buy every soundtrack. I used to buy film scores for just certain films. But they're buying, I think, everything and listening to it and critiquing and enjoying. Uh, so I've been enjoying actually listening to their podcast. But they actually tweeted... Uh, this uh, actually, I guess October seventeenth. But they they tweeted out our podcast of the week. Check out these guys; they're geektastic. Now, who did they tweet this out to? Well, it was a follow Friday hashtag, and it was tweeted at Neverland Pcast, where you can also tweet as well to me here, the Neverland Podcast, which I do enjoy. Heck, you can do that during the show if, while you're listening. I enjoy reading your tweets; they're a lot of fun. And so that was nice. Thank you very much, Sideshow Sound Theater. Uh, Geektastic is exactly kind of what we're going for in our own Disney fashion. Uh, also, something else that came across Twitter from Tim Nidell. That's what your name looks like. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Uh, Tim Nidell is from a podcast called Saturday Rewind, and uh, his Twitter is at Saturday Rewind. 
this is a really neat kind of podcast. He goes and he talks to people like voice actors from shows from like the early days of Saturday morning that you might remember if you're around my age, things that you grew up with, and you know, like G.I. Joe actors and things like that. Uh, great little podcast. Go check it out. Very, very cool. But Tim Nidell, you know, tweeted to me, said, Love your podcast about Walt's childhood home. I really want to come to Toonfest now. Now, many of you will remember that was actually a bit of a while ago. Uh, I guess he just got a chance to listen to it here recently. Uh, but many of you will remember back in September, if you haven't heard these, uh, yes, I had two weeks, uh, one that I was talking to Kay Mallins before Toonfest and talking about the event and uh, finding out later that Kay Mallins actually owns the, the Disney farmhouse there in Marceline, Missouri. And then the following week, I was at Toonfest and I recorded... Oh, her mother, Inez Johnson, telling lots of stories about when Walt would come into Marceline. It was a great show. And also I got a recording from uh, the st- one of the storyboard artists that currently works Phineas and Ferb and worked on the Star Wars episode. And he showed some storyboards from Star Wars, which you can hear the audio of. But also, if you go to our Neverland podcast YouTube channel, then you can also see video of his presentation as well as the parade from Marceline. So go and check that out. But I'm very glad that uh, you enjoyed that, Tim. Thanks so much for getting back to us. Uh, and also, I want to thank Adam Medina for retweeting. Uh, of course, obviously, he retweeted last week's show because, well, he's in it. So, but thank you still for, for retweeting there, Adam. I do appreciate every retweet. Everybody who shares our links about the podcast on Facebook, I appreciate you. And all of you who retweet, I do love that. Just keep going, and you know what? I'm going to start shouting out to you here uh, throughout the show because I should. I should give you all some credit, and thank you all for doing it. And I think we're going to work up some giveaways for those of you who do share the the podcast links on your Facebook page or on our Twitter account and retweet those. But, of course, in order to do that, what you're going to need to do is make sure you're following us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And then I will see when you're retweeting me, and you'll be able to see where we post up on Twitter. Also, make sure you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash NeverlandPodcast, and you can find our page where you can like us. And you can also like us directly and follow us directly at NeverlandPodcast.com. And I do, of course, have posts about the podcast and a lot of other fun things throughout the week. Uh, We're doing Marvel Mondays. Uh, We do Turtle Tuesdays, Wayne Wednesdays. Bruce Wayne, okay. Uh, Right now, for Thursday, I'm doing Thorough Thursday, and then we do occasionally do some Flashback Friday, and it's all at the Neverland Podcast Facebook page. Also, I do have a Facebook group that we're slowly getting rolling, where it's a bit more forum and interactive, so you can talk with me there, and if you got some really fun feedback, I'd love to share it on the show. Don't forget, also, you can email us at podcast at neverlandpodcast.com. All this information will be repeated at the end of the show. So, just buckle in right now, because... We're going to have a nice little talk with uh, Tim Devine. Uh, but before, also, one more thing I almost forgot about. I would like to say that uh, we are doing this in memoriam for Gerard Parks. Um, I believe that's how you say his name. But uh, y'all remember Doc from Fraggle Rock? Uh, well, he lived a good long life from 1924 to 2014. Uh, and uh, well, he has sadly passed on. Uh, But he gave us a lot of good memories for those of us that remember Fraggle Rock. And so I dedicate this show to you. And now, let's get on to some special fun contact as we welcome our guest, Tim Devine. Alright, Neverlanders, once again we have, from the Magic in Pixels, Tim Devine! 
Oh, shucks. What's going on, Jeremy? How you doing, bud? Oh, uh, it's, it's a wonderful day. The, the Royals are in the World Series. Well, there was an event, though. Um, you you're, you run a website called The Magic and Pixels, which everybody can find a link at at NeverlandPodcast.com. Uh, and you have this event. The, uh, this is how many years have you been doing this? Six now. Six years of Unbe- unbelievable, but yeah, six. My goodness. Uh, so describe to us what is Pixelmania? Pixelmania is an annual get together for the guys and girls on my website and well, friends of my website. Uh, we all kind of get together for about four days, four and a half days, once a year to just walk around and just blast away with our cameras and have fun and enjoy each other's company and uh, try to learn some new tricks and techniques and vantage points and things like that and it's it really is a good time because we're uh, we've all become friends and we're all we're all uh, slightly irreverent and we just like to have a good time and we 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 eat really well too of course you eat well you're in Disney World yes sir <laughs> So do you have kind of a competition on who can get the best shot of certain items or anything like that? We do. Um, there's there's some friendly rivalries that go on, but it's all in good fun. There's no none of the viciousness that, you know, tend to happen among certain groups and people. And, you know, we're all we all just uh, have, you know, good natured ribbing and, uh, like I said, some friendly rivalries and things like that. And we have a lot of fun with it. It's like, hey, guess what I got? I got a shot of the Hanging Man in the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I did. Yes. I've got, and I, anybody else trying to get a shot of that should probably just stop because I think I, I think I absolutely killed the dead guy. <laughs> yeah. I haven't, I have I haven't posted it yet, but it's common. Oh my goodness, because that, yeah, that's pretty- just an amazing photo. Because normally you can't really see any detail on that at all, and the shot you have that's on the website, it's just like, oh my goodness, that's what he looks like. Even I get lucky sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, like, you've, you've just won the competition already. You just have to bring that photo back every year and say, yeah, well, I got this. <laughs> Pretty much. It's uh, it's funny. The first first or second morning, I forget what it was, we were having breakfast at the Flying Fish on the boardwalk, and as, as I was coming across the bridge from the beach club, um, the way the sunlight was hitting the, uh, the lighthouse at the Yacht and Beach Club and was just beautiful and there's a perfect blue sky behind it and the cloud there was like gray clouds just kind of hanging in the air just it looked spectacular and i blasted away uh got a photo of it showed it to a couple people and uh the one guy in my group who's a spectacular train photographer he looked at it and basically said thank you very much for making me feel like a flaming underachiever and you just (laughs) completely just stomped out my soul for the rest of the day (laughs) <laughs> you know, we we we, you know, we talk a little trash to each other, and we we have a good time with it. Oh my goodness! And every once in a while, we take a picture too. <laughs> Sometimes several. Uh, we we've been known to completely just discombobulate safari drivers, and just you know, the guy turns around and says he's never heard that many photo, he's never heard that many camera clicks on one ride <laughs> in his lifetime, and. You know, a lot of times the cast members will start playing along and they'll start getting into it with us, and yeah, you know, we we really have a good time with it. Do you ever have like a, a photo scavenger hunt? We've done that, yeah. <laughs> so who won that one this year? 
We didn't do it this year. Oh. Um, this year we just focused on, because we're still trying to figure out how to run a group now with the Fast Pass Plus and all that kind of craziness that's kind of creeped up. Um, we didn't do a scavenger hunt, but we've had some really, we've had some good ones. We've had some really obscure things that we've had to go find and then take creative, goofy pictures in front of. And, you know, we, we've, uh, if you can think of it, we've pretty much done it. <laughs> so uh, then there's probably been the hidden Mickey contest as well. We've uh, we've worked some hidden Mickeys in there. <laughs> uh, so, what is the the best? Well, I guess best uh, best. I wouldn't call it a secret, but like if, if 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 the average person is wanting to get some of the best photos they can while they're on that trip to Disney World, what is kind of the best technique you can go for? The way I almost always answer that question is to get get the best camera that you're comfortable with carrying and your budget can afford and practice like crazy before you go so that flipping through the buttons and the menus and the settings almost become second nature so that you don't feel like you're fighting your camera while you're there. Um, little, you know, some familiarity with your equipment before you even go goes a long way toward building your confidence and your proficiency. And when things come, that you want to take pictures of you'll be it'll just be second eight you just come up you you know you pull up you pop the picture you know your settings were decent you know your technique was good and and off you go to your next destination yeah that parade float only comes by once you better be ready (laughs) if you have the camera set wrong it's too late yeah that's why i i'm glad i have a video camera i just get video so i don't really get a lot of good snapshots that way but at least, you know, I got to see it go by and I can always watch it at least on that. I, I'm not that good with my, my photo taking. I like to take a lot of pictures, but I I am <laughs> I don't always have the best eye and it, it takes me a couple tries. Well, see, that's the thing. that, that I think there's an inherent talent that you either have or you don't have. But at the same time, it can be practiced and refined, you know, the, the quote-unquote photographic eye. You know, some people just don't have it, and you can teach them, you know, till you're blue in the face how to, you know, try to see a scene before it happens. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I like to think most people, if you if you know how a composition's supposed to look, and you have a little bit of practice and um, a little bit of head knowledge, you can start to see things before they happen. Um, start seeing a scene come together as it's as it's coming together. I guess would be a more accurate way to say it. And then, you know, when it then you, you know the quote unquote moment it clicks, ba bang, there's your shot, and, and you move on. Yeah, so you know, the, the idea had, being get your frame set the where you want it when you know something's coming, and be you know have everything in the background that you want, and just wait for the right moment for what your your subject is to be in just the right spot. Then pretty much. Um, you know, I've got some friends that work at Swan and Dolphin and, you know, they tell me all the time that they, they tell me all the time. They ask me, they're like, how do you, how do you just see the shot starting to happen? I'm like, just, you know, a lot of practice. And, you know, I like to think just a step or two ahead of time, um, you know, keep, keep, keep my brain going a step or two ahead, kind of like, kind of like a chess match. You know, you're always thinking one move ahead, two moves ahead, mm-hmm. you know, as, as something's starting to happen, I start thinking, all right, well, if I was going to shoot this, well, what would I want it to look like? And, you know, then, then once the elements get in place, then click and there it is. Cause Disney, Disney's gone to great lengths to really put it all together for you. If you just, if you just see it happen, cause you gotta remember Walt Disney was a huge um, fan of amateur photography and, Part of the way the parks were constructed 
was with that in mind so that it would be photographical photogra- photographable and photogenic and you know it, it would all be there so you know the, the reason things are designed the way they are there's there's a lot of there's a lot of forethought uh, put into it yeah even just for the experience of even if you weren't you know, holding a camera, just the feast for the eyes that where they set it up to where, you know, the train station kind of blocks all view of uh, the castle and everything. And then you come around that corner and turn onto main street and you just got this wonderful view of the castle and the main street and the buildings. And they're all just proportioned and using a little bit of forced perspective just to give you this, the great moment of like, ah, I am here. And I'm sure that's probably one of the most photographed sections of the park is just that, once you get in there and line yourself up on Main Street and you see the castle and everything, just and it, anything that makes you visually stop and say, "Oh, I got to look at this." That's definitely should be your cue to say, "Take a picture." It's almost amazing how the castle sitting there, just slightly elevated, dead center, and your buildings on Main Street just kind of form, form the leading lines that take you right to the middle of the picture, and there's the there's the. Uh, there's the the, uh, the cherry on the Sunday. Isn't it kind of funny how that worked out? Mm-hmm. It's just brilliant design of the park. <laughs> it's almost like they planned it that way. Yeah, you'd almost think that they knew what they were doing. It would seem that way. Yeah. It's like a photographer's dream. Like, yes, I, I don't have to worry about anything. Just know that everything's going to be good, and no matter what kind of shot I get, even if, even if you're an amateur photographer or you're just taking family photos, odds are you can get some pretty good shots that are going to be able to get some take-home memories. Yep, a bad picture of the castle is still a good picture. Right. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Well, when when I went on my one trip, the guy who was taking still photos, he snapped. Anytime we walked past that castle, he was snapping photos because there was always something new going on. Especially as it got, uh, and, and, you know, as it got darker out, they would do different lighting on the castle and be different shades of color. And so, you know, we'd get a lot of shots of looking up into the castle and just. There's always something to get a photo of. It's just, it's a great, great setup. I know, and then my, my wife and my wife's always asking me. She goes, "Do you really need another picture?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, because this one's slightly different." Yeah, it's it might like be better a... than the last one. It might be worse, you know. You know, it, that's the beautiful thing about digital is you can you can afford to experiment and get that instant feedback on as to whether you blew it or whether you, you're onto something, and you can just refine a little bit from there. Yeah. As opposed to going, all right, well, a roll of film is, you know, I don't know, 10 bucks and getting it developed is another 6 bucks. And if I blow, I only got 24 shots, so if I blow this one, hmm. Yeah. And I remember those days I used to like to take a lot of pictures and I'd have that roll of film and you just sometimes never know what you got. You know, you just say, well, that looked like it was going to be good. And then you get the pictures back and you realize, oh, my fingers there. or Oh, I wasn't aimed right. Or the frame that I'm seeing through the little view hole was not quite what the lens was seeing. And so, yeah, with digital cameras now, it's just it's a whole new ball game because you know exactly what you're getting. The only thing that trips me up is like on my phone. uh, It's a it's got a high definition lens on it, and it's got an LED flash and all this stuff. But I never seem to get away from glare. And there's supposed to be all these different weird settings to be able to adjust things. And I've recently took photos. Speaking of the Royals, uh, out in front of our Union Station, uh, they. 
uh, we're having a, an extreme bugs kind of exhibit going on right now, but uh, due to the phrase bee royal, they have this big bee out on the corner. It's animatronic. It buzzes and, and moves its mouth and everything, but they put a, a, a crown on its head that lights up. And uh, I'm, I was there. It was still dark in the morning, and they had lit up the front of it all blue, and then it had the crown all in blazing and everything. And I, I went and took some pictures, and they, they're not bad, but the all the light just has that... I'm calling the Van Gogh effect. It's just such a nasty glare that I've just never been able to get away from that all that glary kind of junk on my phone. And it'd be nice to have a good camera. I guess I could get a good shot like that, but I never have a camera of, of quality with me when I just happen to see something that oh, I got to get a picture. Well, ca- camera phones have come a very long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the first phone I had that had a camera it was a Palm One Trio. So I'm like, I'm kind of dating myself a little bit, and now I have an iPhone Six, and the iPhone Six has an amazing camera in it. Um, but that being said, it's not going to take the place of my you know my Canon One DX anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 quite frankly, you know, no matter how good your cameras, your phone, no matter how good your phone's camera is. It's still a little tiny lens with a little tiny sensor in a cell phone. You yeah, know, there's a re- there's a reason that you know pro grade camera bodies and lenses cost you know thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, you know, my, I mean, the, my one DX, the body alone cost me sixty eight hundred when I got it, and you know, let alone what kind of lens I put on the front of it. So, you know, you're, there's there better be a difference between my phone and what I'm carrying around. Otherwise, you know, we're going to have some, we're going to have some issues here. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, so for the average family budget, let's say that you needed to get a digital camera and you're trying to aim for something, maybe under a hundred dollars. Do you have anything you might recommend? A hundred dollars is ambitious. Um, I, I would say if you can keep it, if you can go up to about, you know, 300 or so, you're probably in the, you're probably in a better ballpark there. Um, and honestly, I've been, I I don't generally look down quite that low in the price point just because everything I have is so much above that. Yeah. But there is a, um, there is a Fuji fine picks and I, I, I don't remember what the exact model numbers. It's a Fuji XP something or other XP 70 XP 60, something like that. Um, it's waterproof, drop proof, dust proof, freeze proof, point and shoot. Which I I looked at it. That would be a really cool camera to have to go to, like a water park or the beach or the pool or you know just take it out in the rain because you know pictures and photos in the rain can look really cool if you do it right. But you know I'm not gonna subject thousands of dollars worth of equipment just to get a picture in the rain you know, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense yeah. um, and at the same time it's you know like i said it's drop proof so you know i could give it to my kids and if they drop it they drop it no big deal uh, i think it's rated for you know six feet or something like that you know to not shatter the break or anything like that so um if i was looking down in that price range that's probably where i would go uh, i'm actually very intrigued in it intrigued with it i've seen i've seen sample pictures out of it that have looked really nice really really fantastic and i i played with it in the store a few times i just never quite pulled the trigger on it yet mm-hmm. all right so one final question on this absolute favorite place to get a family portrait in the park kind of hard to go wrong than you know with the castle in the backdrop <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind of hard to go wrong there but 
you know what? I, I think any of the park icons really work. Uh, you know, Spaceship Earth, a, a nice backdrop. I think uh, the hat, you know, whether you love it or hate it, quite frankly, I like it. But, you know, the hat makes a nice backdrop. The Tree of Life makes a nice backdrop. Um, there's a spot on Tom Sawyer Island. There's a little there's a little dock down on the water uh, with a little kind of like a rope fence around it with a couple rocking chairs. And the backdrop of it is Big Thunder Mountain. And it's kind of an off-the-beaten-path kind of place. I don't think you ever see a photo pass guy there, but um, I got a picture of my, my wife and I many, many, many moons ago when we were just boyfriend and girlfriend, and I loved it. I thought it came out great. Um, so there, there's there's always a spot if, you, if you're willing to look hard enough, but if, if, I, if you only gave me one shot, one place, I'm, I'm going Cinderella Castle, which... I know it's the cop out, but how do you? How can how can you go wrong with it? Yeah, you can't beat that. <laughs> it can be hard. Yeah, I, just, I mean it's a castle for crying out loud. How often do you get to see a castle? <laughs> this is true. Are you a fan of Ducktales, Gargoyles, or Tailspin? Then boy, have I got a podcast for you. Hi, I'm Jason, host of DAF Radio. And I'm Matt, the co-host. Join us as we talk about these fan-favorite shows that you grew up with and meet the people that made them. Find us at DAFradio.net or in your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, enjoy the afternoon. I forgot to warn you, Tim, Neverland is haunted. Uh... I'm, I'm hoping to have it cleared up by the end of October, but uh, we've had some hauntings going on here this month, and so we've been able to talk about some Halloween family movies, Halloween TV specials, uh, things of that nature. We've brought you in because you are a fellow gamer. I am. Um, now, before we go any further, is this the part where I have to like go get my flashlight or something? Uh... Might be a good idea, but I don't know if it'll chase anything away. But then again, there are some games that a flashlight does come in handy, and we'll definitely talk about those. <laughs> we can do that. Oh, oh, wait, I have an iPhone that has a flashlight built right into it. Silly there me. There you go. We wanted to talk about, and I'm going to kind of reach back into the past, but there's kind of a history of good spooky fun to have in the world of video games. Absolutely. And this, to me, I... As far as, like, movies go, I like to watch, like, some classic kind of horror movies. Uh, like, uh, Netflix currently, I've watched uh, Legend of Hell House and uh, House on Haunted Hill. One of those was a Vincent Price mystery. Fantastic movie. Love them. The only thing is, is you're not in any control, and so you can't stop that stupid person from, don't go in there, you know. But with the video yep. game... I'm in control, so I really like that because uh, in a lot of these games, the big ugly monster comes out, and I'm like, "Oh, that's right, I have a gun, I can fight back." <laughs> and then I can put, then I can punch this funny little code into my controller, which gives me even more guns. Right. It's how do they do that? It's it's magic. It's just crazy talk. Yeah. So obviously, we're going kind of beyond Disney at this point because uh, I don't think Disney's ever put out any real spooky games. That I'm aware of. Well, they did have a movie based on the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, I uh, do have that game. It's not a very good game, but I, I have fun with it just because I like the Haunted Mansion. It's not one of their better offerings. Yeah, but it's, it is a fun one, and it does recreate a lot of things. Uh, I like the on since, since we mentioned it, we'll go ahead and talk about that game real quick. But their save points are the the thirteen hour clock, so you go by a clock and you save your game, uh, and it does have. Uh, in, in the right hallways, you have all the different wallpapers from the ride. 
Um, there's a lot of throwbacks to uh, the ride. That there's like a there's a ballroom area. Uh, there is you can find a big long banquet table in one room. You can see the uh, conservatory area. There's an area for Madame Leota. So I mean, there, there's a lot of things you can enjoy about the game, even if it's not that great. Uh, and sometimes it is frustratingly difficult on some of the simplest puzzles. But, you know, uh, it's not bad. Uh, I think I, I have a copy for the PS2. Uh, the original Xbox copy, I, ha- I have heard, is not compatible with an Xbox 360. Uh, so you're better off if you have an older system. Uh, that's worth checking out, just for the giggles of it. If you're a big Haunted Mansion fan, you'll probably forgive that it's not really that great of a game. Yeah, I just I don't remember it with a whole lot of um, fondness, but I, I did have it. I played it because it's, you know, it's Disney, and I was like, oh, cool, the Haunted Mansion. How bad can this possibly be? Well, yeah, it was about as awkward as, you know, a Disney Haunted Mansion movie with Eddie Murphy in it. Yeah. Okay, but i reaching way, way, way back. This, you know, for all of us, are hopefully about the same age that they're a fan of this show because I do talk a lot of old-school stuff. But the, the very first game that I can think of that, that kind of had that, uh, that was ranked as a horror type of survival horror game was on the Atari 2600, released in 1982, Haunted House. Did you ever play this one? No, but I did have an Atari 2600, but I don't, re- I don't remember Haunted House. Uh, edumacate me on this one. Oh, this is a great game. Uh, basically, you're navigating in this haunted mansion of the late Zachary Graves, and you're trying to recover three pieces of an urn. Now, you as a player, you're nothing but a pair of eyes. And for every direction you go, it's like one of the ghosts in Pac-Man. Wherever direction you're wanting to walk, the eyes are looking, moving around that direction. It's, it's kind of a top-down type of thing. Uh, when you press the button, you, you light a candle, and so you have this glowing kind of aura around you that will help you find hidden items. Uh, there's a like, a, like a little symbol type of thing when you're carrying that one. You get it kind of wards off all the spiders and bats and skulls and ghosts that kind of come by that try to get you. Uh, but you cannot carry this item and pieces of the urn at the same time, so you'll end up dropping if you're carrying pieces of the urn. But it was, of course, very, very, very simple graphics because they weren't capable of doing much. However, in uh, 2010. There was kind of an Xbox Live Arcade version, and also a Windows and a Wii version that was it was a downloadable where they kind of revamped it and with updated graphics. Uh, I I got to see a little bit of this, but it was supposed to be like 30 years after the original protagonist was implied to have mysteriously vanished inside the mansion, and this is his grandchildren now who are searching for him inside the mansion. Uh, there's also an unofficial sequel to the game that was called Return to Haunted House, and it was actually built into a rendition of the Atari flashback uh, plug-and-play kind of little systems, which I actually do have uh, a flashback system that has Haunted House on there. Thing is, is with Atari games, once you could beat it, it gets a bit repetitive. But it was kind of cool for its time. Yeah, it sounds pretty neat, and it sounds you know a lot of the the conventions that you you're talking about still are in play today. You know, you have to get a key to unlock the door, and uh, the very rudimentary inventory management, kind of like you know the kind of like the um you know the older well let's go right into it resident evil games where you could only carry so many items and then you had to decide what you want to sacrifice what you want to carry um although somehow a typewriter ribbon or a key carried the same amount of inventory space as a grenade launcher 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not too sure about that one, but... Well, that was adjusted later uh, with Resident Evil 4 when they gave you the big suitcase and you had to arrange your items. That was brilliant. One of the best... One of the best horror or... Heck, I'll, I'll just say it, One of the best games I've ever played. You know, RE4 still holds up today as a outstanding game. Yeah, and I would actually make the argument that that was probably the last great Resident Evil game. Uh, the fifth one, it's it seemed more like a combat game because it was very mission, military style, and like this doesn't feel like Resident Evil anymore. And so I was, that's the last one I actually played because I, you know, I saw a demo of the, of the sixth one. I'm like, yeah, this feels the same way the fifth one did. And it really lost something that the fourth one had, where the fourth one was... Well, the fourth one was probably one of the creepiest ones, because it was a whole new environment, and you weren't dealing with zombies anymore. You had these weird farmers that were, you know, trying to get you with pitchforks and chainsaws and... Yeah, the the, uh, the Ganados. Yes. Four, four, Resident Evil 4 is probably my favorite out of all of them. Yeah. Um, five I liked. I did, I did like five. Um, yeah, it was fun, but it, it just it didn't feel the same. Six was it was good. I mean, the action was good. The graphics were good. It just it it, it, it the game couldn't decide what it wanted to be though. Yeah, you know, did it want to be survival horror? Did it want to be run and gun? Did it want to be a combination of both? Which is why I ended up with four separate campaigns and that took forever to go through. It was like they just couldn't couldn't decide in the boardroom what they wanted to do. Yeah. Now, did you notice that they're re- they're re remaking the very first Resident Evil, and it comes out in 2015 on next gen consoles? Yeah, I've heard something about that, uh, and I, I've seen a little bit of a video where they're you're basically playing the exact same game, same environment, but now it's it's a different perspective. It's the it, same perspective of like the newer games. It's a remake of the GameCube remake of the Resident original Resident Evil. But apparently they're going to give you the option. You can have the you can have the fixed camera angles. You can have the tank controls, or you can have it current standard also, where you know the camera moves with you, and you're not you're not pinned down with the tank controls anymore. And yeah. it looks really awesome. If you ever if you never had the chance to play the Resident Evil remake on the GameCube, oh man, was that good? Yeah, that was that just definitely stepped up the intensity and made the environment a lot spookier. It was really good. Yes. And I'm glad they did it because uh, because everybody remembers the first Resident Evil, which I'm going to share a quick story on that. The first time I played it, I was actually at a Baptist Student Union lock-in. But they'd had a PlayStation set up, and I was like, oh, I've heard of this Resident Evil. What's it like? And oh, my goodness. And so, and we had me and you know, a bunch of my friends kind of gathered around, and we were all trying to, you know, try to figure out how to not get killed within the first five minutes of playing. Uh, you know, trying to like, well, what's in this room? Let's go look in there. Oh my gosh, dogs jumping through the glass! You know, the the scene where the dog go, dogs go through the window. I remember that scared the bejeebus out of me mm-hmm. the first time it happened. I, I was like, whoa! And then you you didn't know if you wanted to try to fight with it or not because you're you're like, especially because you automatically as a guy you're like, oh, I'll, I'll use Chris Redfield. That's the guy, and he's limited so much on his ammunition that you really don't have enough ammo to deal with all the dogs. So, no, you're better off just getting out of Dodge and living mm-hmm. to go find yourself a green herb or something. Yeah, it's best to just run through that entire hallway until you get to the other side. But that took some time to learn that that's what I want to do, not until I had bought it myself. But anyway, so I had played the original one, and the music was great on that, and uh, it was perfect. And, and uh, 
eventually they got around where they're going to have Resident Evil 2. But until Resident Evil 2 came out, they decided they needed to do Resident Evil Director's Cut. And I was so excited about it. I traded in my copy of the original Resident Evil to get the Director's Cut because it was going to have the original game plus new angles and new new secrets and all kinds of fun stuff. So I thought, hey, I don't really need the first one anymore. Little did I know they altered all of the music and the new music was awful. Oh, yeah, ooh, ooh. And so I was stuck with that, and I was like, oh, man, I should have kept my old one. And Oh, man. But then finally, the GameCube version comes out, and I'm like, oh, look, it's back to the original one. And although some of the music is new, it was better, but it also had areas that used the original music and just stepped it up a little bit. Yeah, the GameCube remake, I remember very, very fondly just how great it was. Um because you you got you finally got rid of that horrific voice acting, um, <laughs> y- you know. Um, you know, well, I guess Jill was the master of unlocking or whatever. Find anything, Jill? Nothing. What is this all about? I can't figure it out at all. Beats me too. Now it's Wesker's time to disappear. I don't know what's going on. Well, it can't be helped. Let's search for him separately. I'll check the dining room again. Okay, I'll try the door on the opposite side. This mansion is gigantic. We could get into trouble if we get lost. We should start from the first floor, okay? And, Jill, here's a lockpick. It might be handy if you, the master of unlocking, take it with you. Yes, <laughs> just, just rest, you the think back, the original resident... If you think about it, the original original Resident Evil was so bad, but yeah. it was so good at the same time. Yeah, I kind of could accept the strange bad voice acting because they were going for a George Romero style movie, and it seemed to fit like that. <laughs> yeah, it's just oh my god, it's so awkward. But then, but then you look at what we have today, and these you know not, what we have today are the you know the voice acting's like Hollywood blockbuster material. There's just yeah, you know, bad voice acting is the exception, not the rule anymore. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna back up a little bit. Uh, this one might be a little unorthodox. It was on the Nintendo, uh, but Metroid, and not maybe necessarily the first one, but Super Metroid. Uh, I, I kind of count this because it does have a very spooky style, especially the the beginnings of Super Metroid. You, uh, uh, Samus gets a distress call from this place where she just dropped off a Metroid she had gotten from from the the game. Uh, boy version she goes back and the place is you know everybody's been killed and there's nothing but like kind of weird uh sci-fi sound effect things as you're going through this abandoned thing and you're seeing this disaster and the metroid is broken away and you go into this other room and then slowly the ridley who's this giant dragon just appears first eyes and then and pops up and so you've got this big alien monster you fight with but then you go to the planet that was uh, in the first game and it's like abandoned and it's all spooky and there's a spooky low music uh, and then finally you get to one point where you grab an item and this security eye just pops up Whoop, you know I'm doing sound effects uh, the security eye just focuses it in on Samus and it's very spooky when the whole place comes to life. And there are certain monsters that, that, that you have to fight with, certain bosses that were just kind of creepy. And there's like a haunted, derelict ship that you go through. So it's it's kind of an unorthodox. I know it's more of a sci-fi, but that was a pretty spooky game. And, and I, I really liked that aspect of it, that it was kind of creepy. 
the NES sported a, a few other games that kind of constitute, or at least something that I've played that it was a, a survival horror, because apparently there was a Nightmare on Elm Street game that was really awful, and I never played it, but there was a Friday the 13th game. Oh, God. <laughs> you went there. Yes, I went there. Friday the 13th. I, I actually had fun with this game. I've, I've never been a fan of, of slasher movies or anything. Uh, I think my mother got it in a cheap bin because the critics were really rough on this game. But I thought it was fun. Is that the one where you had to like, rescue campers from the lake or something before Jason got them? Yes. You had, uh, you had like, what, uh, six counselors. And certain cabins you'd go into, you could swap to different counselors. But the counselors might suddenly become under attack by Jason. Or the kids would be under attack. And then you'd have to hop in a boat and swim through a lake. Or, or boat through a lake, sorry, not swim. And uh, get to the campers. And then you'd have to fight with Jason to try to get him to leave. Uh, but as you're walking around the, the camp uh, on the outside, Jason may randomly show up and cross your path, and you have to fight with him. Uh, but most of the time, you're going around inexplicably fighting zombies, and the, the weapons you're starting with are rocks. And you're throwing rocks at zombies until eventually you do kind of get some, some bigger weapons. And uh, I think occasionally I did get so far as an axe. But yeah, any weapon that Jason would use, you can find and use as well, like a machete and an axe. Uh, there was some woods you could get yourself lost in, but I guess if you went the right way in the woods, you could find Jason's mother and fight with her. Uh, it was it was a silly game. I managed to, to beat it one round, but I guess the idea was you're supposed to be able to do it three times, and then you've completely finished the game. I was happy just to kill Jason once. I was happy just to turn it off. <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> just happened to have a Nintendo. That was one of the first games we got with our Nintendo for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, but with your Nintendo, you could have been playing Castlevania. Oh, and I did. We didn't own a copy, but I did play Castlevania. Awesome game, great series. Um, I really liked um, the Castlevania on the PS3. Uh, whatever the subtitle is, it's escaping me at the moment, but it was it was really good. Um, Castlevania 2 on the original NES I thought was fantastic. Uh, I had some, a whole lot of that one. It had some like light role-playing elements to yeah. it um, where you had to go from town to town and there, it had some fetch quests in it and so that, you know, they, the fetch quests go back 25 years, sad to say, but um, it was a pr- pretty good game and then it kind of went in, the, the series went downhill quickly for a while but then it hit, it, it, it peaked back up on the original PlayStation with uh, Symphony of the Night, which was just fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant game. Of course, still, I gotta still. say, I liked Castlevania 3, though. I did like that one. I played the Dickens out of that thing. And that was, I think, one of the first attempts to really kind of almost make a cinematic experience out of a game, because even the opening uh, credit uh, title screen had, like, film strip things going up the side, uh, and you had, like, a good long shot of the castle and things like that, and they, it seemed like they really were stepping up to make a cinematic experience that really, when they got to Sin- Symphony of the Night, it's very cinematic with the opening and coming looking at the castle, and the storytelling is done brilliantly. Uh, the graphics were fantastic for the time. Oh, and the music is awesome in that game, too. Well, the, the music in Castlevania pretty much across the board... Um, has always been good, and the game I was talking about was Lords of Shadow. For some reason, that just escaped me, but uh, Castlevania Lords of Shadow, I thought, was really, really good. 
I'll have to play that one because I don't think I've I've played anything since Symphony of the Night. I saw a little bit of one that they did for the the Nintendo 64 that was kind of okay, but it seemed to have lost something. It wasn't too good. That was, I think that was their first real foray into a 3D Castlevania. It just really wasn't any good. Uh, but Lords of Shadow on the PS3, it's kind of like it should really be called like Lords of Lords of God of War, or God of Castlevania, or something. It plays very much like a God of War kind of game. Hmm. Which I love. I think they're fantastic games. Alone in the Dark apparently had existed on a computer and been been pretty popular, I guess, at some point. But I didn't get it into the series until they released on the PlayStation and PlayStation Two. Alone in the Dark: A New Nightmare. Mm-hmm. I I had that one for a while. Is that the one where I think the only way to really defeat an enemy is you had to set it on fire or something like that? Uh, that one, I think that was the uh, uh, like on the Xbox. There was one where you did they they did a complete fire system, and you had to uh, burn things out. But uh, uh, a new nightmare uh, was it was very weird. It was uh, there's this mysterious island that you go through, and there's two different players to carry to play as. There was of course. Um, Edward Carnby, who was the main character of the of the series, and then there's Aline, who's this um, oh scientist of some sort and everything that also goes to the island. But on the island, there's been these weird experiments rumored around this house, and it's kind of complicated. But you find out about some sort of Indian tribe that had done these weird kind of rituals, and uh, and somebody's been in the house bringing forth all these creatures from the nether realm. And uh, you go around, and you have a flashlight as your only light source. Uh, the music was brilliant, and of course, your flashlight, you'd also have a gun to shoot, uh, whatever comes out, but this is one of the games that messed with your head. They would randomly, at certain trigger points your player would cross, they would flash the screen and have some sort of monster face poof, right in your face. Nice. They yeah, would, you know what? You're right. I, I do remember this one now um, mm-hmm. from quite a while ago. And I do uh, have but... the music from this one, although a lot of it is pretty you know, much the same. You'd have the music would change based upon if you're getting near something. It would become more intense if you're getting close to something that's going to attack. Nice. Build that sense of dread a little bit. Because you know you don't have enough items. You know you don't have enough ammo, but oh well, too late. Something's coming. But if you if you started navigating just the right way, you could avoid some of the attacks. Usually you'd get attacked more fiercely if you're going somewhere that you shouldn't be yet. Fair enough. Yeah, and speaking I, of speaking of games that mess with your head, and I know we're just kind of jumping jumping around system to system, era to era here, but nothing ever messed with my head more than Eternal Darkness on the GameCube. I think I tried that and I didn't like it. Uh, it was too clunky and hard to control. It was, but it messed with you. Like your character would actually go crazy, and it would manifest itself on the screen depending on how injured you got, how scared you got. And like all of a sudden, your controller, your controls would invert. You'd have to flip your controller upside down. I mean, it did some really crazy stuff. It was pretty, pretty rowdy for the time. Yeah, that is pretty clever. Especially remembering the, you know, the GameCube was in its heyday. How, you know, how long ago? Ten years or so, probably. Has it been so long? I guess. Well, so. Eternal Darkness was released in two thousand two. Wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah, twelve years. Wow. I mean, you know, you think about it, you we remember these games as if they were just a couple of years ago, and it's like, yeah. wow, that's like a long time ago. We're showing our age. <laughs> the the ones that really messed with my head, though, was, like I said, Alone in the Dark. Uh, true story on this one. I had been spending the day kind of playing with that one. Uh, in the middle of the night, 
And it was oh, – there was a little bit of light coming in, I think, from a street light uh, in the room. But I was at that point where I was laying in bed and I was kind of half awake, half asleep. I'm kind of in la-la land. And I kind of rolled over and I could swear from my wife's side of the bed something leapt up and was ho- jumping over onto the bed after us. And I hopped up, you know, ready to fight it off or something and scared my wife half to death. <laughs> That's your story and you're sticking to it. Yes. But other than that, the one that really old messed with your head, and I've only played the original, but Silent Hill. Yes, that's on the list. You told me to make up a list of the best horror-slash-Halloween-type games, and Silent Hill was on my list. Yeah, that's the first one, oh my goodness, that they learned how to throw sounds around the room just to screw with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember playing this uh, over at a friend of mine's house after I'd bought it. Uh, we were I was staying over at his house or whatever, and we were, we went down the basement. Uh, it was a finished basement, had all the lights out playing this. And if you had a good enough TV with some good stereo sound, that would project sounds and throw sounds behind you in the room you were in and freak you out. And they'd do weird sounds like babies crying and just stuff just to put you on edge. Yes. I, I spent more time with Silent Hill 2 than I did Silent Hill 1, but the, as a series, I think you're remiss to not mention it. I've never played Silent Hill 2. Tell me about it. Silent Hill 2 is really cool. Just your your wife goes missing, and you end up in this town, and you come across these creatures, and these... I, just just think... Just, just Google the name Pyramid Head, <laughs> and you, you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, my... Yeah, Silent Hill 2 is pretty creepy. Um, I haven't played any of the other ones since because just and I yeah, it's hard to say. You know, I love Silent Hill, but I only ever played the second one because yeah. there have just been so many good games since then that it's 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 just it's really hard to you know really hone in on a particular series. There's just so many good games that have come out over the last really the last five six years. There's it's I've got a backlog a mile long upstairs of of games that I have and haven't even gotten to yet. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, it's really hard to track down those Silent Hill games because once I got my PS2, I was trying to find a copy of Silent Hill 2, and I can't find it anywhere used. It's at a reasonable price. I think there's a Silent Hill collection on the PS3. It's like some of the older games that they that they re-up to you know higher resolution and you know maybe fix the frame rate a little bit and then repackage them. Well, I'll have to look into that now. I did see something about that they tried to restart uh, and reboot the whole series and took the story of the first game, but took away the concept of having a weapon to make it more of a survival, spooky type of thing. So it's not quite as violent, I guess, but uh, it, it's apparently it was a bit scarier because now you have no defense other than uh, like a flashlight or something. You can shine around and try to drive the darkness away. So, yeah, well, very great series. If you have access to a PS4 and you can download the game PT... Do it, play it, and just think, I wonder, hmm, could this be a Silent Hill demo? Hmm. And it will scare the pants off of you. Hmm. Makes you wonder. I'm, I'm 39 years old. I've been a police officer for 13 years now, and there, I still like a game that'll make the hair on my neck stand up. <laughs> yeah. Which... Not necessarily your classic horror game, but The Last of Us definitely did that for me. Yeah. There was just that sense of tension was brilliant. Yeah, and it, it was a very strange sort of game because you had, granted, you had your kind of 
I wouldn't really call them zombies because they were infected with a fungus, so it was like the fungus was trying to get you. But you spend at least half of the games dealing with other humans that have gone so far to kind of the dark side for their own survival that you're you're frightened by humans too. Absolutely, it was just the game was just the game was brilliant all the way around, and really, I don't I can't think of any developer that does a better job in telling a story with brilliant graphics and and acting and everything else besides Naughty Dog. I think I think they're just if they're not the best developer on PlayStation, I don't know who is. Yeah, especially when you consider the Uncharted games, they are just fantastic games. I told you so. Oh yes, I love those. <laughs> I told you, buddy. On the Super, I'm going to back way up because we kind of skipped this. But the Super Nintendo, uh, Lucas Arts, well, they had already, I guess, made Maniac Mansion on the NES, and that, I guess it's kind of creepy. But I never got to really play much on it. I don't understand the game. But uh, on the Super Nintendo, they started a new series that was kind of a a joke on like the old classic black and white cheese ball horror movies of weird giant monsters. Oh, I know where you're going with this. Zombies ate my neighbors. Yes, that game was cool. It was so awesome. You were going around with a water gun. (laughs) And a pair of red and blue 3D glasses. Yes. And shooting zombies with water and they'd burst. (laughs) Yes. I may or may not have played an emulated version of that on an emulator on my computer in the past. Because I never had a Super Nintendo, but I do remember that game. Oh my goodness, that game was great because it had like different... Uh, type of setups like you'd have like you first you'd be going through neighborhoods and then eventually you come across the giant baby and stuff like that and there'd be a hedge maze where a guy with a chainsaw is ripping through the hedge maze coming after you and then you'd end up inside of a, a shopping mall <laughs> it's just every convention you know every few levels you'd get a whole new environment that's like a classic horror movie type of thing <laughs> to awesome. where eventually you get to an alien invasion section which I could never get through the aliens the aliens were too hard to kill they were like weird plant like alien monsters that would come out and they were hard to kill so, Zombies Hate yeah. My Neighbors was a fun game yeah it was great to play with uh, with a, a friend because it was a two player game and it was a lot easier to get through although you don't end up wandering in different directions sometimes because it was such an open environment so that was the one downfall of playing with two people, but it, it did make it a lot easier to blast all the crazy zombies, and you had to try to rescue cheerleaders <laughs> and stuff like that. It was it, every corny convention, like you said, is in there, but it was just it was just one big cheese ball fest that just uh-huh. worked. There's one more game I definitely think we have to bring up. Okay. And now, when you first would have played this on the computer, wasn't really a creepy game. It was just kind of cool. But when this game got brought over to the PlayStation, they messed with the lighting and did a bunch of different things and made it even cooler and made it actually kind of creepy. Doom. Okay. Did right, I never really, PlayStation? Of, never really thought of Doom as a horror-type game, but go ahead. Well, make, yeah, make, it, make your case. It got creepy when it got onto the PlayStation when they released it because suddenly now they added a lot of dark and light and had a lot more rooms wandering around in the dark. But when they really got to step it up is when they made Doom 3, which is basically just relaunching from the beginning and adding a lot more story. Uh, it, they put this thing on steroids. This oh. was creepy because when you first begin like Doom 3, 
you, you know, you're walking in, you're in this new Marine who's sent to this space station on Mars, and we're doing all this great research, and you keep finding, you know, a little bit of reports of uh, we need more volunteers in the teleportation area, and, uh, oh, we don't worry about this accident that happened over here. You know, there's been some incidents, but we're not too worried about it. Don't you worry. Keep going about your business and keep working. Well, uh, when you check in with your, your commanding officer, he goes and sends you to go... Uh, check on some guy in some lab some way off and you see it and it's very cool dark environments and very sci-fi scary kind of stuff but when you get to the room and this is why the original one still qualifies being kind of a survival horror because of the story of what's going on but you get to the room where this guy in the lab is at and he's saying i can't leave if, if, if something goes wrong here we're a very critical time and then the lights go out and this evil laugh <laughs> And, like, all these demon things come out, and it kills the guy you're in with, and uh, everything just goes to heck in a handbasket. And then, literally, because what has been going on is they've been drilling into Mars and researching stuff on some sort of Mars and found a gateway to hell. And they've unleashed it upon the place. And on Doom 3, they found new ways to mess with you, where you could walk into a room and you could see... Well, an extreme amount of violence had happened to a section, but they've been—they've used. Um, I don't want. I'm, I'm trying to be family friendly about this, but they've made uh, like pentagrams out of uh, a, a certain human body fluid that's red, <laughs> and they've done stuff like that. But you step into the room, and the lights will go out, and you'll hear that evil laugh. It's almost like you're being stalked by the devil the whole time, and that's actually what this concept behind Doom was—is that hell had been unleashed on this lab. And you're the one lone survivor trying to escape it. And so it wasn't necessarily creepy on the original computer game because it was all lit up. But once they put it onto the PlayStation, they started adding some light and shadow and some darkness. It got really creepy. And by the time they got around to Doom 3, it was an all-out horror fest. Absolutely. Doom 3 was awesome. My lasting memory of Doom 3 was that it basically made me upgrade my computer. (laughs) Because I couldn't run it worth anything. Um, if I ever see it on like the, I think it has been on the, the the clearance racks quite a bit, especially used on the PS3. I might actually have to pick that up and give it a shot. Because checking that out on a 60 inch TV with surround sound and everything, oh, I bet you that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've got it. Uh, the Xbox version will play on an Xbox 360, and I do still have that. And that one will even mess with your head if you're sitting too long on the uh, the menu screen. Because it's nothing but a bunch of whispering and stuff like that. It just sends chills down your spine because you just hear like people that are just whispering. And there's just like this agony and scary because they they didn't put music in in Doom 3. They uh, just – and I think they got Trent Reznor to do it. But he created ambient sounds just to be around. So it's very sci-fi sounding, but yet will very, very much creep you out. And that game I could not beat without finding how to turn on God mode, which is a, a staple in the Doom game. That's the only way I could beat it is I would just you know unlock all the weapons, turn, make myself invincible in every level because so much stuff is coming at you, especially by the end when you fight the giant monster dude at the end with a huge machine gun arm. Oh, my goodness. Great Absolutely. game, and don't play it in the dark, kids. <laughs> well, since you since you went back to the PC era with your last nomination, let me throw two. Let me throw two at you. See what you think. Do you remember a game called Sanitarium? Nope. Already then. Moving on. Nah, Sanitarium <laughs> was um, it was like a point and click adventure where you know you click your guy through the through the screen, and you have to, you solve this puzzle, and you click over here, you solve this puzzle, talk to this guy, and you know you finish the stage, but. 
um, I guess the, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher the premise here, but you were on your way home from work and next thing you know, you're in a fatal car crash and you have no idea what the heck happened. And you wake, then you wake, you, you come to, um, regain consciousness. You're on a table with some freak doctor checking you out and you end up in a sanitarium and nut house. And, you know, as you go through level by level by level by level, it slowly exposes little bits and pieces of the backstory until you, you reach your, um, your, the big reveal at the end. It was actually pretty cool. Um, you know, if you're into the whole point and click and, you know, there's a lot there, there was voice acting, but there's a lot to read too. And it is probably, I don't know, uh, like a late nineties kind of game. On yeah. CD-ROM, it was, it was decent. Nineteen ninety-eight psychological horror point-and-click adventure. Well, actually, so I so I done good. Yes. <laughs> um, that that game was actually pretty good. Um, I don't think it got a whole lot of play just because it wasn't super hyped, but it was pretty good. And um, the other, you know, scary kind of game I can remember from classic computer days, probably right back toward the beginning of the CD-ROM era, was the Seventh Guest. I heard of that one, but I never played it. Uh, another point-and-click adventure. Everything was pre-rendered, and you know, you'd click here, and it would have to load off the CD. Seventh Guest was around the same time, like games like Mist and Riven, and those kind of games start were popular. Um, but it used it used a real, you know, junky, poorly compressed full motion video, and is you know, I guess the premise is a bunch of guys get invited to a mansion, and you have to figure out through solving ridiculously hard puzzles that required a guidebook. Um, you know, solve this puzzle, it gives you a little more story. Solve this puzzle, it gives you a little more story. But, like, all the characters all have their own backgrounds and their own motivations, and finally they come they come together at the end, and you figure out, you know, who was the ultimate bad guy and why was he doing this and doing that. And it was, uh, it was pretty good, especially for back in the day. I mean, I'm figuring that's probably a mid-'90s kind of game. Um, and then it... it it actually was re-released as an app that you can download for your iPad. Uh, it actually came out in 1993. Uh, but that does remind me of a game. Uh, let's see if I can remember the web address. It's thelastdoor.com. This is really cool. This is actually something that's very modern. There's a Kickstarter campaign for them to create more chapters. But uh, it's being foreign made. Uh, I was going to try to maybe talk to them, but uh, they uh, don't speak English as their first language, so it would have been a challenge. Uh, but thelastdoor.com, and you can now purchase the game or you can play it completely online. It is done uh, in an old style kind of uh, sort of 8-bit graphical style. Yeah, that, it looks like it has that pixel graphics look to it. Yeah, very pixely looking, but it's kind of a, a, a point-and-click adventure in the style of like an HP Lovecraft story. Uh, and each each episode, you have to, of course, solve all the puzzles and find the items that interact with that. And a lot of creepy things happen. Uh, there's even a trailer you can kind of play. Uh, there's also it looks like there's one you can watch here on the website as well. But uh, they, it's I've only played through one episode, and it's very creepy. Some of the things that happen, very cool story. Uh, a little bit of blood and things like that, but it's done. Well, I just said blood, and I was trying to avoid saying blood earlier during the doom, but that's okay. Uh, if you're still listening this far, you must be okay with this. <laughs> so, but uh, when it's pixelized, it doesn't seem as bad. But it's a really great mystery. Very, very creepy. Really neat things done with the sound. Uh, and they do have Kickstarters that they run trying to raise money to make each game. 
uh, in the series. Uh, and like I said, I was going to have them on the show, but uh, when I made contact with them, they said, uh, well, we would have to know every single question because we don't really speak English, so we would have to go through a vocabulary to figure out how to answer the questions. And I just thought that would be very difficult to have, you know, would not be very conversational. But thelastdoor.com, go check it out. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and I, I'm calling it family-friendly enough. It's very creepy, but it's it's not nearly as violent as some of these other games we've mentioned. <laughs> Fair enough. It, I, yeah, I don't think it's going to hold up to The Last of Us. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you wouldn't really compare it to The Last of Us because it's a very different style of game. But once you sure. start playing on these things, uh, I, I think you'd enjoy it. It's very fun. It's very different. Uh, it's 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 that story-driven kind of angle. As long as you like a good story-driven thing, I think you could actually have a good time with this. Going back a step, can you? I just thought of two games that referenced actually had a haunted mansion, Disney haunted mansion level in them, although it wasn't essentially the game proper. Uh, Disneyland Connect, I believe. Okay, three. And I'm thinking a cart but, game. I remember that was a, like a Disneyland cart type of thing where you play as uh, Disney characters and you'd go through different attractions on a haunted mansion level. That would be Magical Racing Tour. There's the one. That's the only ones I can think of. Go back to your 8-bit Nintendo days. Got do you me remember? There. Do you remember Adventures in the Magic Kingdom? Heard of it, never played it. The premise is you had to go around collecting keys to unlock something to help Mickey. I guess Mickey Mouse got stuck and needs all these keys to be able to do something, whatever the something is, I don't remember, but um, the major attractions had their own level, and then the, the last key was, like I think, Pluto or Goofy or something used to ask you trivia questions about Disney World, and if you answered them all correctly, you got the final key, but there was a Haunted Mansion level, and it was a side-scrolling platformer-type level. Hmm. Really had nothing to do with the Haunted Mansion other than the fact that it had ghosts and stuff in it, but... <laughs> It was it, it was Disney. It was the Haunted Mansion. So I'm putting it on the list. Gosh darn it! That's right. And and we've gotten back into a Disney thing. So see that makes us officially. You see, you see, you see what I, you see what I did there? Yeah, we brought it back to Disney. <laughs> see, all roads lead to Disney, right? <laughs> exactly. Dead Space, which I probably need to give it another fair shake. I played the demo on why I wasn't impressed, but I know a lot of people are big onto that one. Dead Space is awesome. That that'll scare the pants off you. Yes, yeah, so I'll have to look into that one sometime because I, I, I must not have quite gotten the gimmick of it when I played the demo. I don't think they were – although I think I played also a demo of like a Dead Space 2 or something, and that was creepy. Yeah, Dead Space Dead Space is basically – it's kind of like Resident Evil in space with these enemies that you can only kill a certain way. We'll stay, friendly, stay family friendly here, but I remember Dead Space scaring the bejeebus out of me for a while. <laughs> although I, although we could go family friendly and always, you could always bring up Luigi's Mansion on the GameCube or the uh, the 3DS. I only played a little bit of Luigi's Mansion. Uh, I, I really did like it. It was pretty fun. It was it was uh, it was very 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 light and cartoony. Yes, but but a lot of fun too. And you, yeah. you actually had to think a little bit too on how to yeah. defeat certain ghosts. And um, my 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 oldest son, he really loves that game. Still plays it today, as a matter of fact. I'd probably play it, too, if I had it, because I do still have my GameCube. 
And then you have, remember, Ghostbusters on the PS3. That was pretty good, actually. Or the Xbox. I played it on the Xbox. That was a fantastic game. I still love playing that every year. That is great. I love it. I love it. I love it. Surprisingly difficult in spots, but it was it was it was a cool, pretty cool game. Yeah, the uh, the number one thing that could be the ultimate frustration to anyone who loved that game is those angel statues. Oh boy. Yeah, they laugh as they charge you from behind and knock you over, and oh, horrible, horrible. I just remember getting to the the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man level, going, uh, this is gonna be a problem. <laughs> I was I was just excited to fight the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I was like, "It's a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man! Please tell me I can kill him!" Did you, your Ghostbusters fanboy came right out, didn't you? You went went digging through the old boxes in your attic to find your old Ghostbusters lunchbox and everything. <laughs> if I had had one, uh, I grew up poor, and so I didn't really get to have a lot of the goodies or the toys or anything. But I had a wiffle ball bat and, and an imagination, and that did all the tricks I needed. There you go. And uh, as soon as we get done recording this, I have a hot date with my PS4 because I have I just got the Evil Within and I'm dying to crack it open. Oh, I thought you were going to crack that open uh, earlier this week. I was, but then I wanted to go back and finish up a couple other games I was playing. I've been playing Murdered Soul Suspect, which is that's another ghost game. It's actually pretty. It's actually pretty good. It's 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 got some clunkiness and some awkwardness to it. But if you can get past that and just focus on what's going on in the game, it's pretty good. I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Uh, the premise is you're a cop that got murdered and you have to solve your own murder while helping this other chick in the, who lives in the real world you know, solve her quest that she takes. You know, I don't want, I don't want to give too much of it away because it's a fairly new game, but hmm. um, it, it's pretty neat. Sounds like a good idea, though. It's like, oh, yeah, solve your own murder. Oh, cool, a mystery. <laughs> The, it could have been done better than it was. Like, I, there's definitely some corners that were cut, and it's it's not as refined as gamers today have come to expect. But at the same time, if you, like I said, if you can get past all that, it's a good game. Yeah. Then, uh, what's the premise of the uh, the uh, the Evil Within? It's made by the same guy that made the classic Resident Evil games. Ooh. That uh, Shinji Maya something or other. <laughs> that guy, please don't sue us for not getting your name right. The the Shinji Mikami. Ah. The father of survival horror. And if you ever and if you're ever not sure about that, go to his Wikipedia page. It says right on there. The survival <laughs> of sur- father of survival horror. Um this year. Yeah, because I only have seen a, a commercial in it and all they really show is people freaking out trying to play it. It looks pretty awesome. Okay, while investigating the scene of a gruesome mass murder at the Beacon Mental Hospital, Detective Sebastian Castellanos, his partner Joseph Oda, and rookie detective Julie Kidman, because you, know, you always have to have a rookie detective on their first day on the force, <coughs> sure. cough, cough, Resident Evil 2, <laughs> encounter a mysterious and powerful force. After seeing the slaughter of his fellow officers by a man wearing a white hood and scars, Sebastian's ambushed and knocked unconscious, blah, 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 blah. And then hilarity ensues. <laughs> yes, it becomes a very funny game, and all the clowns come out. You know, be, you know, because you know everybody believes on Resident Evil Two that Leon Kennedy's on his first day on the job, right? <laughs> yeah. And suddenly arrives first day on the job at a viral outbreak. You always have to wonder, well, why didn't he come into town and get himself settled in an apartment before he starts his first shift? That's kind of what I'd be thinking. I'm, you uh, know, my first day on the job, I think I got sent to get coffee for everybody. <laughs> Oh, but I think we've covered about everything we can think of. There's, there's been a lot of, um, 
there's been a lot of horror slash haunted type games, some good, some not so good. And uh, barely any of them that we could actually recommend on a family show. But uh, if you feel so inclined, go check some of these out. And some of these you maybe have played before, and hopefully we've shared a good memory with you. Well, here you go. Plants vs. Zombies. There you go. Yeah, I've heard of that one. I never got a chance to play it. My 8-year-old, I got uh, Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare for my 8-year-old, and he absolutely loves it. Kind of a puzzle game, isn't it? Not Garden Warfare is more of a third-person uh, online team shooter, hmm. but and and I'm we're not the kind of parents that lets our eight year old play Call of Duty. And <laughs> I know eight year old parents who eight, parents of eight year olds who do, but that's not us. Um, but this one, there's there's nothing graphic about it. There's nothing inappropriate about it. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to. It's kind of hard to find something inappropriate when you're a sunflower shooting, you know, laser beams at a zombie, and <laughs> you know their their head knocks, their head falls off, and they just fall down. But there's no gore, there's no blood, there's nothing inappropriate about it. And yeah, so better to have the kids play that one than something like Dead Rising. Oh, you know what? I just thought of another game, and it involves since I since I've been harping on cell phones the whole time. There's a game called Daylight. And that's on the PS4, and the only thing you're armed with is a cell phone, which you, which basically, I guess, gives you your mini-map on the screen, and you can use the flashlight on the back to light your way, and that's all you got. Huh. And the aforementioned hilarity ensues. <laughs> yeah. The clowns in the circus. Do, 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 do. Hey. I, I'm, you know what? I'm going to keep naming games because I want to hear you keep making that noise. <laughs> okay. Well, but this is going to be an extra long show. I'm going to have an awful lot of editing to do. <laughs> yes, you are, but there's so many good games out there. Yeah, so there's lots of things. for. So if you are a person who feels so inclined to play these sort of a game, uh, we recommend you play them, but uh, we will officially say we don't recommend them for children under the age of 18. There you go. There you go. you got to get good disclaimer. But, well, thanks for coming back onto the show again this week. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Anytime, bud. Once again, thank you for downloading listening to the Neverland Podcast. I know there's a lot of games we didn't get to, like uh, Clock Tower, for instance. I, you know, There's a lot of games I thought of afterwards, the conversation. But uh, I hope you enjoyed that if you stuck it out this long and you enjoyed this type of thing with video games. But I'd like to remind you to come back next week when we'll once again go to Disney and beyond. And until then, keep your pixie in your pocket and keep that positive attitude that you can sprinkle that pixie dust to some other people. Until next week, God bless. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blueberry. We love to hear from you on Twitter.com slash NeverlandPcast and Facebook.com slash NeverlandPodcast. Leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492 and send email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. Join us next week and we'll once again go to Disney and beyond. The Neverland Podcast is copyright Blue Band Productions and all original content belongs to the same. Other content is copyright of their respective creators and is used under Creative Commons license.